Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. We have got a cast-iron assurance and a guarantee from the British government. The particular problems around the Irish border are being used politically to try to frustrate Brexit. Northern Ireland must leave uh, the European Union on the same terms as the rest of the United Kingdom. Northern Ireland would form part of our customs territory. Hello and welcome to Brexit Republic, RTE's podcast on Brexit. I'm Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe editor, just arrived in Dublin. And I'm Sean Whelan, RTE's London correspondent in Westminster. And I'm Colm O'Mungoyne, RTE's deputy foreign editor with The Cold, also in Dublin. Each week, Brexit Republic assesses all the latest Brexit developments in Brussels, London and Dublin. Seven days and counting. The path is now almost clear for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union next Friday after 47 years of membership and a torrid three-year divorce negotiation. The withdrawal agreement bill is given royal assent after a swift passage through the House of Lords, with Boris Johnson's huge majority in the Commons ensuring there were no last-minute amendments or changes. That just leaves the European Parliament to ratify the treaty next Wednesday and Brexit will become a reality. Not much will immediately change as the transition period kicks in until the end of December, most likely. But the skirmishing over the future trade relationship is already underway, with sharp, then mixed signals from the British ministers about how far the UK will diverge from EU regulations. We'll also hear about how the UK will manage the farming sector once those EU subsidies are gone, and we'll be exploring why Ireland is nervous over Boris Johnson's understanding of the control trolls that'll be needed in the Irish Sea. But first to you, Sean, Royal Ascent, it's on its way. It's it's a reality. They're getting out the suits, polishing up the champagne corks, not getting out the fireworks, as we discussed in, in another podcast. But the Brexit celebrations for those who are celebrating it will kick off next week. Yes, and I think they won't be uh, using champagne. That is a continental product specific to one particular county of France. Bookfast, uh, maybe. The, uh, drink of the day. The drink of... No, 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 no. The Southern England is a uh, significant producer of white sparkling wine. Not allowed to call it champagne, of course. It's uh, protected under the uh, EU geographical indicators uh, regulations, just like Clonakilty black pudding uh, in a sort of a a way of thinking about these things. But um, yes, celebrations uh, are being uh, ratcheted up in Britain, as you say. Uh, the Withdrawal Agreement Bill uh, the, is now the Withdrawal Agreement Act as of yesterday. Uh, it having been signed into law by the Queen. Uh, that means in British, uh, it's an enabling bill that uh, takes the withdrawal agreement uh, done between the EU and the British government into British law and uh, allows them to do uh, various implementing measures Uh, on it. Uh, It's not, as some of the British newspapers would have you believe, uh, the thing that clears the way for Brexit to happen. Uh, There is, of course, another side to every uh, agreement or negotiation, and that is the actual withdrawal agreement itself. Uh, That instrument of ratification for that was signed this morning, Friday, by the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, and the President of the European Council, Charles Michel, uh, in Brussels. And then they have sent it uh, across to London. Apparently it's coming on a Eurostar train for Boris Johnson to sign uh, this afternoon. Uh, And then, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, there will be a vote in the European Parliament next Wednesday. Uh, Once that's cleared, 
then by the written procedure, uh, in other words, uh, a fancy word for the rubber stamp, it'll be uh, closed formally uh, by a, a meeting, any old meeting of a Council of Ministers. And that actually will be it done and dusted. And that genuinely will clear the way for Britain to leave the uh, European Union at uh, midnight Brussels time on Friday the 31st. And Tony, no prospect of a last-minute rebellion in the European Parliament to overturn this or disrupt it. Yeah, there's no chance that the European Parliament will uh, will do anything but uh, ratify this treaty uh, next week, next Wednesday at 6.30 in the European Parliament chamber, the hemicycle in Brussels. The European Parliament's Constitutional Affairs Committee gave it the once-over earlier this week, and there were a few abstentions there, but uh, the Constitutional Affairs Committee largely uh, said that it was good to go, uh, so that's a signal to the rest of the European Parliament, to the plenary on Wednesday, to uh, go ahead and ratify this. So that, that will be the last, as Sean said, that will be the last piece of the jigsaw uh, ahead of the withdrawal agreement becoming uh, law across the land, across the European Union. It'll be an international treaty, which means all of the elements of it are binding in international law. Uh, and then we all wait then for the next stage, which will happen fairly quickly because uh, the European Commission has been beavering away with member states, uh, working on all of the elements of the future relationship uh, that are contained in the political declaration, which of course accompanies the withdrawal agreement. They've been working on these detailed seminars spelling out what everything means, what the European Union's ambitions and objectives will be in those trade and future relationship negotiations. Uh, all of those seminars have now been completed uh, and it's just a formality really for the European Commission to uh, adopt its negotiating mandate. It'll be one overall mandate for the whole shebang uh, trade and everything else uh, and that'll be adopted by the College of Commissioners on Wednesday the uh, 5th of February, I believe, and then on the 25th of February, the uh, General Affairs Council will uh, formally endorse that mandate. So it's the Commission listening to the member states to see what they want out of the trade negotiations and so on, um, and then the Commission fashioning their uh, mandate to that effect and then handing it back to the member states to endorse it. So uh, all being well, we'll get into those trade negotiations at the beginning of March. Now, there's a suite of rooms in Strasbourg in the European Parliament named after a great hero of Boris Johnson's uh, Winston Churchill who of course said it's not the end, it's not the beginning of the end it's the end of the beginning although Boris Johnson says it's the end Yeah it really is going to be uh, another big uh, eventful dramatic phase in the Brexit process and uh, a lot of people have been reminding viewers and anyone who wants to listen that uh, Brexit has not been done uh, the divorce has just uh, been done but uh, the future relationship has to be forged uh, between two sides uh, the EU a huge uh, multi-governmental uh, trading block, uh, a unique experiment in uh, multilateral governance and uh, shared sovereignty, uh, facing off against uh, the sixth largest economy in the world right on its doorstep. Uh, so there are huge issues at, at stake and already the big issue which uh, has been uh, rumbling has been this question of divergence. How far will the UK diverge from the EU's regulatory sphere uh, and how uh, much they might want to align with EU rules? And we've had some fairly robust 
signals from Boris Johnson even before he was elected uh, leader of the Conservative Party and before the general election. Uh, and we've also had a lot more combative messaging from people like Sajid Javid last, week in the, last weekend in the Financial Times saying we will not be a rule taker, we will not be aligning ourselves with EU rules. Uh, the reason being that the UK doesn't want to be hamstrung in negotiating free trade agreements around the world uh, and of course politically uh, people might say well what's the point of leaving the European Union if you're going to be then signing up to its uh, regulatory orbit um, but then interestingly in Davos Sajid Java said well we're not going to, di to diverge just for the sake of diverging we we'll diverge where we will see that it's appropriate for the UK but of course the signals from the EU side th through these um, seminars which have been talking about uh, especially the one which looked at the whole question of the level playing field the EU has made it quite clear that there will not be any cherry picking there has to be a straightforward across the board level playing field uh, so that the UK will have to sign up to uh, labour standards they'll have to sign up to environmental uh, and climate change standards and there will have to even be what's called dynamic alignment on state aid rules and competition rules which effectively means that the, the UK will have to stay in lockstep with the EU um, uh, you know, as time goes forward. So if the EU changes a rule, then the UK would be expected uh, to adopt the same rule uh, and regulation. Now, all of this is going to be extremely political and difficult, um, but those are the kind of um, you know, the, the, the big pillars of this negotiation uh, and the big things to look out for over the next few months. Sean, into all of that, the uh, UK government is saying that they're going to conclude a trade deal with the US possibly first. So they're looking to do that even quicker than they would conclude one with the European Union. That seems ambitious, to say the least. Well, to say the least, uh, it is ambitious. So you're trying to negotiate with two very, very large, very, very seasoned teams of negotiators. I mean, the American and uh, EU trade negotiators are the biggest, toughest, hardest people on the block. And for what are effectively newbies uh, in the trade game, uh, the British haven't done a trade deal for at least 45, maybe 47 years uh, as Britain. So there was nobody uh, still working for the British government who actually remembers what doing a trade deal was like. They are now going to suddenly pitch themselves into trying to do a trade deal, not with one uh, of these enormous uh, players, uh, but with two. I mean, both of them at the same time. And those two uh, big powers, EU and US, are getting on for half of the world's economic output between them. So this is an enormous stretch for what is a very small and untried and untested team of negotiators. And that's why few people rate the possibilities of getting anything approaching a comprehensive deal. They might, in the good old way of government spin and PR, do some kind of quickie deals on some element of trade and say, look, we've got a trade deal and hope that most people don't pay any attention uh, to the details. Uh, but trying to do uh, anything uh, remotely comprehensive with either of these two blocks uh, is extremely difficult within the timescale that the British government have set themselves. Trying to do both at the same time looks pretty much impossible. But then the signaling that's been coming out of Downing Street and from different ministers has been rather confusing as well because the latest uh, bit of spin coming out uh, today is that Britain is going to prioritise doing a trade deal with Japan. Now, of course, it has uh, a free trade deal or access to free trade until next Friday night through the EU-Japan free trade agreement, uh, which was recently uh, brought into operation. Uh, 
perhaps they're looking to do a trade continuity agreement. That makes absolute sense. Try and hang on to as much as what they've got uh, under that EU. They're saying uh, they'll do it under uh, EU uh, plus plus conditions. What does that mean? No idea. <laughs> I mean, literally, I have no idea. You know, these I mean, I know, what, I, 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 I know kind of what Canada around. Plus might mean, or, you know, Canada Dry, or any of these kind of things. At least we, we have some idea that it's based on a template of an existing deal. But EU Plus, Presumably plus that, sounds that like it a means trouser that they size. take the EU trade deal, the EU free trade agreement with Japan, and try and add something extra to it. Uh, what? I've no idea. Uh, this uh, one has only just started to emerge through the spinning machine. Uh, in the last uh, 24 hours, possibly less. Uh, then we had, uh, as Tony was mentioning, Sajid Javid, uh, the finance minister of Britain, or chancellor of the exchequer, as they call them over here, uh, going to Davos. He was the only minister allowed to go to uh, Davos uh, by Boris Johnson. He, of course, leading a people's government, uh, as we know. Uh, so who better to send out than uh, a guy who used to be a, a Deutsche Bank uh, banker in, in the Far East, uh, but he was the only one who's been allowed out. Now, he uh, was on a panel with Steve Mnuchin, his counterpart from the United States during the week, and said they were going to prioritize doing a trade deal with the United, uh, with the European Union, uh, to which Mr. Mnuchin uh, turned around and said, I thought we were going first. Uh, so a little bit of a, a, a spat there. Awkward, awkward uh, date moment. Them, or a little bit of confusion. Yeah, it was a bit of an awkward moment. And they had another awkward moment over uh, a subject dear to the hearts of uh, Irish finance ministry officials and ministers, which is the uh, digital tax. Uh, this was an idea that was proposed by France a couple of years ago, uh, stoutly resisted by Ireland, joined by a couple of others who managed to get it punted out from the EU over to the OECD. They didn't think it was... Uh, or they thought it would take uh, quite a while to get there, but suddenly the Americans rode in, thought it was a good idea at OECD level, but the French and the British decided to go ahead with their own taxes while they were waiting. During the week, the French struck a deal with the Americans, uh, are hanging fire on their digital tax, but the British are going ahead with their one uh, in Mr. Javid's first budget, which is due out uh, in March. So uh, it looks like he's antagonizing the Americans. They've been threatening various retaliations, such as tariffs on British uh, car exports to America, if they go ahead with this digital tax. So in the space of a few uh, hours, he uh, has managed to perhaps antagonize the Americans, perhaps unnecessarily, certainly sending mixed signals to them and to other people. I mean, who exactly are they going to negotiate with? Who are they going to prioritize? You would have thought, logically, it would be their biggest trade partner, which is the European Union, then the Americans, then the Japanese. But who knows? Briefly, Sean, just before I go back to Tony, how much public engagement is there on all of this? I mean, it's your job to watch it. You're also a former economics correspondent, so no offence, but you'd probably be watching Davos anyway, uh, out of interest. But what, what level of public engagement? Is it making front pages? Is it being discussed? Is there, you know, heated panel discussions on televisions? Is, is it talked about in the same way as Brexit was? Or has the government messaging that Brexit is done and it's been got done sunk in and has the spin gone their way? I think the spin has gone their way, or maybe the spin has gone the way of public opinion. Uh, I think it's very much the government's uh, policy to declare victory on Brexit, uh, fly the flags uh, next Friday, Friday night, and say, that's it, we got Brexit done. I mean, all governments like to say they've actually achieved something. 
but as we on this podcast know, Brexit is a process, not an event. So uh, it's going to continue for a long time to come. Right. But they are not just hoping, but pretty much determinedly pushing the uh, discussions about trade far down the agenda, and they're throwing out all kinds of other things uh, to uh, distract people. But then again, after three and a half years of these appalling political wranglings over Brexit, people in this country are very, very willing to be distracted from Brexit and not have to talk about it and not have to engage their brains in the mind-numbing awfulness of trade negotiations. Yeah, well, I suppose they're not alone in that because a recent Irish Times poll showed that only 3% of people thought Brexit was a priority in this election. It hasn't been engaging the public. I think uh, even Fine Gael have rolled back on their Facebook ads with a Brexit subject on them and... It, it wasn't the first item on the agenda in the leaders' debates. There was a bit of a spot between uh, Leo Varadkar of Fine Gael and Micheál Martin of Fianna Fáil on Wednesday night in a debate on Virgin Media moderated by Pat Kenny in which there were a few barbs traded on who is the most experienced person on dealing with European set pieces and who had the most contacts. But people aren't really engaging in it. I suppose it won't be until the back end of the year where the idea of a cliff edge or maybe coming up to July that this will recapture the public imagination. It certainly hasn't entered into uh, the campaign here. But uh, Tony, in in Brussels, there is no toleration of cherry picking. But what about sequencing? Uh, the trade discussions at the moment are largely about goods when will servants services come into view? Is there could there be a, a deal on goods concluded first, with a subsequent uh, set of talks on services pushed into twenty twenty one and beyond? Well, first of all, most uh, free trade agreements around the world are very light on services. You know that's an area that countries jealously guard their own sectors, and services is a tricky thing because. If you are going to allow one country to provide services in your country, then you're going to have to have people providing that service, you know, which means which has implications for, you know, the free movement of people. Um, you know, what what uh, rules would would underpin that? Um, but the other thing to say is that Boris Johnson has signaled that he wants a straightforward, bare bones Canada type trade agreement, which is light on services. Um, so. Uh, he is emphasising a a goods free trade agreement. Uh, now the EU is signalling back that you're you're only going to get a goods free trade agreement if uh, you sign up to a level playing field. And as we've been talking uh, about this, the UK is resisting to have wholesale uh, level playing field provisions or obligations uh, or anything that comes close to alignment or dynamic alignment. Uh, so it looks like services is being kind of punted down the, the field a bit um, uh, and goods are going to take uh, priority. When it comes to financial services, the EU operates a thing called equivalence, uh, which basically means that the EU recognises that their standards in financial services and providing uh, those services in banking and all all of that sphere um, that the standards are pretty much okay in the other country uh, and can be trusted. Now, of course, this is a hugely significant thing that the EU is not going to take lightly because, remember, the financial crisis was all about risk that was drifting across borders uh, and causing uh, the chaos and mayhem that followed. So, you know, making sure that you can trust uh 
a trade partner's financial services system is very important to the EU. Now, obviously, the UK has been a member, so it's um, it's signed up to the EU's um, financial regulations and largely authored a lot of those regulations. But of course, when Britain leaves, it's not going to be subject to the same monitoring and adjudication uh, and uh, and the influence of the European Court of Justice and so on. So that's going to be uh, reduced now to what's called equivalence and the, and the European Commission can withdraw equivalence rights uh, whenever it wants without warning. Uh, so it's not a hugely stable uh, re- arrangement uh, and uh, at the same time, You've had signals from the uh, Mark Carney, the outgoing uh, Bank of England, who's saying, well, actually, maybe the City of London and the UK should start developing its own uh, regulatory sphere uh, on financial uh, goods and uh, regulations and so on, and uh, make itself a player uh, globally uh, when it comes to attracting business. So, uh, again, this is going to be a deeply divisive and difficult issue in the negotiations. Sean, one of the things that's come up in the election here is um, renegotiation of EU budget subsequent to the UK's withdrawal. How is the hole going to be filled? What will that do to the common agricultural policy which is not just an issue for European Union member states, it's also an issue in the UK as well. Who's going to fill the subsidy hole that's left when the UK leaves the European Union? Well, the same people who always fill subsidy holes, taxpayers, is the short answer to that one. The uh, British government have published their first bit of legislation intended or wrapped up as a a post-Brexit move, uh, and it's the agriculture bill. Uh, um, 2020, there was a, an earlier version in 2018, never got anywhere, but the 2021 has got a few uh, additional tweaks to it. But it's essentially uh, a form of money bill to allow the British government to continue paying subsidies to the farmers uh, of England in this case. Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland will all have their own uh, particular subsidy regimes because agricultural subsidies are devolved power Uh, within the UK government system. Uh, But for England, which of course uh, absorbs the bulk of it, uh, there is money to be uh, divvied up. And what they've said is they're going to carry on uh, at the same level of subsidies, about three billion pounds a year uh, to English farmers for the lifetime of this parliament. Uh, So that money they're more or less guaranteed to get. Uh, And they also want to transition across over a seven year period into a new way of paying subsidies to farmers, moving away from the cap, which is primarily based on payments for the amount of land that you have, uh, to payments for what they're calling public goods, uh, and effectively it means environmental goods. So things that farmers do to uh, protect the soil, protect the water, air quality, diversifying crops, uh, increasing uh, production and productivity in the land. These are the type of things that farmers are going to get paid for. Uh, So it's quite a shift in the uh, way that the subsidies are devised and paid out, or will be, because it's going to be phased in over a long period of time. Uh, The other thing is there's very little detail in this agriculture bill as to how exactly they're going to do that. So the lobbies are winding up to have a go at lobbying the hell out of this one. Uh, You can imagine it's going to be a a very interesting uh, lobbying exercise because there is quite a lot of money at stake and a lot of powerful landholding interests uh, are going to be involved in this one as well because unlike the cap where you have to be an active farmer to get money under this new British system, just being a landholder means you will also be able to apply for uh, these kind of new subsidies. But it is an area of divergence as well. 
because uh, if Britain changes its subsidy system uh, radically, that may well have implications in the trade in agricultural goods and food products between Britain and the European Union countries. So Irish farmers in particular are going to be watching this one extremely closely. Uh, Tony, then finally to Northern Ireland and what the UK is saying about the movement of goods between NI and GB and how that'll be affected. Stormont, uh, after having been broken down for three years, is back, and on this issue anyway, it's united. Uh, yeah, well, of course, yeah, the, the five parties voted unanimously last week in, in Stormont to uh, to object to the withdrawal agreement bill uh, because, of course, uh, nobody likes it in Northern Ireland, uh, no matter what part of the uh, spectrum you're on, because it does uh, create this border on the Irish Sea. Uh, and, of course, that uh, was the big issue that allowed, if you like, the breakthrough last autumn that allowed the withdrawal agreement to be uh, finally agreed. Uh, Boris Johnson effectively went back to the original European Commission plan, which was a Northern Ireland-specific backstop, um, and he agreed to that as a way to get this thing done. Uh, uh, But that means that there will be, instead of checks and controls and tariffs and so on on the Irish land border, they will now uh, apply at the point of entry into ports and airports in Northern Ireland. Now, why this has suddenly got so toxic is that whenever he's asked, Boris Johnson says there won't be any checks or controls either way. Um, Now, interestingly, he was saying that uh, before the election last year and immediately afterwards, and you remember the the election results came out the day uh, of the the European Council, uh, the European Summit in Brussels, and because they knew uh, that Boris Johnson had won a thumping majority, uh, so the Council issued its conclusions, which uh, called on the UK to swiftly ratify the withdrawal agreement. But because of what Boris Johnson had been saying about there not being any checks on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland, um, Irish officials actually pressed for stronger language in the final communique of that summit to say, and effective implementation of the withdrawal agreement. And that is really code for make sure that the UK abides by its obligations uh, under the Irish protocol part of the withdrawal agreement, which means that there will be a border on the Irish Sea effectively at the end of the year because it comes into effect automatically once the transition ends. Now, this has caused all sorts of consternation for business groups in Northern Ireland because they don't know exactly how burdensome these controls and obligations will be uh, anytime they try to talk to Downing Street. Uh, Downing Street, at, in this particular climate, don't want to do hear anything negative about Brexit or even the word Brexit itself. Um, if they have any observations or complaints to make, they have to apparently wrap it up in some other issue like climate change uh, or make put some kind of pos- positive spin on it. Uh, but the reality is that uh, the... There will be checks and controls. There will be exemptions, of course, and derogations uh, so that it's only goods that are at risk of entering the single market. In other words, crossing into the south uh, that will be subject uh, to tariffs. Um, But in order to know what goods are are subject to those tariffs, you need to do the checks and controls. So there's a whole suite of, uh, you know, exit and entry summit uh, summary declarations. There are uh, regulatory requirements on animal health, on food safety, on product safety, as we've uh, spoken about before. And frankly, uh, Northern Ireland businesses are completely in the dark about how uh, these will be managed, uh, who will pay for them. Uh, And of course, the Northern Ireland Civil Service is also in the dark because 
you're going to have to build um, border inspection posts in Larne uh, to do the checking on live animals coming coming across. You're going to have to have bigger facilities than are there at the moment. Uh, those border inspection posts will need planning permission. Uh, I'm told that planning permission for those kind of big ticket items takes forever in Northern Ireland because of uh, judicial reviews. Uh, but when uh, civil servants and business groups ask Darning Street uh, what's happening, uh, they're not really given very much in, uh, information. The other way of looking at this from a, a Dublin government point of view is that uh, there is a concern um, reflected in that change of language at the EU summit back in December uh, that you know the UK is, is going to pay fast and loose on this one um, for, for the for the main reason uh, that th how uh, strenuous or burdensome these controls will be will largely depend on what kind of free trade agreement is negotiated at the end of the year because if you have a zero tariff a zero quota trade deal with close alignment, then of course you're not going to need to have a lot of those checks and controls or exemptions and so on uh, on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. But but, but the problem is the, the Irish government is saying the UK can't simply hedge and wait to see what... Um, you know, what the free trade agreement looks like at the end of the year. They have to start planning now and they have to start moving on all these issues. Uh, and we've had some, you know, fairly uh, sharp reminders from the European Commission on that score as well, that the Irish protocol must be implemented and, and the work on that has to start immediately. Sean, finally to you then, the, the approach under Theresa May was if you want zero fr friction, we have to work back from that consideration into what kind of a deal you have with the European Union. If people, as Tony was saying, if people in Northern Ireland want zero friction and a, a zero tariff um, free trade deal, that isn't being priced in on the part of the British government. They're saying, they're just stating from the outset, there will be no friction but they're not saying what concessions or they're not even, they're indicating that there will be no commensurate concessions to make that happen. Well, it's, it's more of the declaratory process of, of British government uh, and its approach to Brexit. And we've seen many times where they say things are going to be this way and then suddenly find they actually have to negotiate with another party and things don't necessarily turn out the way they say they're going to be. Uh, and that may well be the case uh, with this Northern Ireland arrangement. I mean, as Tony said, uh, uh, set out very clearly there, this is all set down in uh, an international agreement, what, or what will be within a matter of days, uh, an international uh, agreement. Uh, also, the Commission have published today a set of slides making it very clear, uh, complete with maps, with arrows going from places like Liverpool to Belfast, what happens to goods uh, where they expect controls to take place. And it is, as Tony says, in places like Belfast Port or Larne Port. So that's all set out there. Sabine Wyant, the uh, uh, deputy trade uh, head, or sorry, the head now of uh, DG Trade, um, is uh, tweeted that out. I've retweeted it on my Twitter line for people desperate for um, loads and loads of information uh, from the European Commission about how these things work. Uh, but yeah, it's they are going ahead with that. Uh, that is going to be a source of friction for that trade across. Right. But because it's a very small part of the UK's overall trade, uh, I'm not sure the government in London are terribly worried about it. They are, I suspect, hoping and expecting that it can be minimised uh, in terms of the amount of uh, frictions and intrusions that are going to be there, but they can probably live with uh, a certain amount of friction there. It's the other frictions 
uh, that are going to become problematic for them. And all of these declarations about we want the right to diverge, but not necessarily diverge, uh, isn't really cutting it with the uh, European Commission and its negotiating team uh, who are making it very clear that just uh, reserving to yourself the right to diverge from EU regulation means that there will be frictions in all of those areas as well. So uh, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more uh, of the friction F word uh, as the year proceeds. All right, well, we've already done uh, the week ahead at the top of it. So we'll, we'll leave it there for this episode of Brexit Republic. From me, Colm O'Mungan, RTE's Deputy Foreign Editor in Dublin. From me, Sean Whelan in London. And from me, Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe Editor in Dublin. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard in Brexit Republic and you're interested in the Irish general election, you can also subscribe to the Your Politics podcast from the RTE website, www.rte.ie forward slash news. You can sign up through the RTE player or the platform of your choice or indeed listen online.